He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And fellas, we are out at Lincoln Park Golf Course, one of my favorite places on the entire planet for the first time. Tea scramble fundraiser event. We'll talk to Debbie Martin, who heads up the first tee later on in the show to hear more about that. But fellas, I mean, before we get started on all the golf that happened over this past weekend, let's give a little preview for our golf today. I mean, what are we expecting out there? I haven't touched a club in about, you know, two and a half months, so probably going to be a good day what did tiger woods say i mean the first day back you play like a god the second day back you play like a beggar right yeah. <laughs> and so hopefully that stays true for me today but t-dub and woody i'm going to be leaning on y'all all day and then the hump man will give us moral support well you know let's there's a lot of things to look forward to today one is that if it's anything like the oak tree scramble the hashtag nalz I mean, Sam's hitting every drive, what, Woody, 350 yards minimum? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I was hitting from spots that I didn't even know existed on this course because you could get so close. And then you had the holy uh, of the year with the hole out from, 90, what was it, 97 <laughs> yards on number right. nine? Yeah. And yeah. what's crazy is that, Sam, I've known your dad for upwards of almost 20 years now, and I've never played golf with him. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's like, like, okay, so imagine a softball swing, like a slow-pitch softball swing, except a golf swing. So, it's like, it's like a softball swing on the backswing really – you know, flat and laid off, and then he slides forward and somehow makes contact. So <laughs> Somehow makes contact. <laughs> so is, is he an accurate player? Are we, are we oh, yeah. Be- no, no, no. Everything's going to be right down the middle. It's going to be a low just rocket draw right down the middle, about 200 yards. So it's yeah. going to allow people like you to swing pretty freely then. That's right. And That's then, right. I mean, Woody. And when hopefully he, plays- he gets to play from the whites. And I think Woody's going to play from the whites, too. We're going to move him up. (laughs) Dang right, I'm playing up. So, Woody, I mean, defend yourself. I'm sure there's going to be people out there at the tournament that say, oh, this guy's a former pro. Defend yourself. That doesn't matter. That's bull, okay? (laughs) If if you say at 65, whatever that number is, usually it's 65, you get to play from this tee. It doesn't have an asterisk out there. And if they do, it's discrimination. (laughs) That's what the PGA America it to me when I was in this section when I turned 50. Yep. The dirty dogs, they go, well, now it's 52. <laughs> well, 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 hopefully the uh, first tee doesn't pull a uh, USGA and change the rule retroactively knowing you're here and saying, oh, well, it was 65. Yeah. We're going to make it 70 now. Yeah, well, let me just say this. That you I, have to I be said 65 and eligible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And a well, non-former turf pro. And, and then's the factor we talked about earlier with T-Dub, and he said, who would cheat in a first tee? Well, I might then. I'm going up. I'm going up. The hump man and I are going to ride together. I'm going to have a cigar in my mouth, and I'm going up. And you know what? I had to give a golf lesson yesterday out at Glardia, 
And you know what I did? I got there 30 minutes early. You know where I ran to? Their little that? short game. I just hit wedge oh, after wedge they got after such wedge. A good short game area oh, there. my gosh. It's beautiful out there. And I just get wedges. is all I hit. And my buddy came up that I was teaching. He goes, what are you doing? I said, get ready to play Sam's drives. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with the exception of the par threes, Woody, pressure. and maybe some par fives, I mean, that's all we're going to have in these holes. <laughs> well, the good as long news. as Sam can keep it on the planet. Yeah, well, the good news for you guys is, There's, you know, my rule. It's a big planet out here. Yeah, it's a big. It, it's true. big. And, and my rule was is I don't play golf if it's a, a below 60 and blow more than 20. So we fit in it today. It's perfect. 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 So perfect. That's why I'm here. Yeah, Debbie Martin wait. brought the good weather for sure. We Dang talked right. to her about that later. Um, and by the way, for our listeners out there, Woody, I mean, we're in a situation this morning that I feel like a lot of our casual golf fan listeners do. They never really practice, right? Or they, you know, work all day, hit some balls at nighttime, maybe twice a week. If they are playing in one of these scrambles, and maybe if you don't have it that morning, you're not going to find it. But at the same time, what should they do to kind of, you know, get themselves ready to go play? The, the best thing to do in a scramble, if you know your golf game sucks, which a lot of people do, and you're <laughs> right, they're not going to find it. <laughs> you don't go to the range the day of a tournament and go, ah, there it is. Where do you head? Putt. If you've got a good team, scramble team, it's because somebody's making putts. That's and right. You can Very become true. you can become the hero of that team if you can make putts. There and it is. Driving is important too. Good ideas, but boy, you get a guy that can rat hole four or five putts, like you did. At our first scramble together, <laughs> I heard about was how bad of a putter Sam was. Too, he makes everything. Made everything. <laughs> and I didn't putt for the longest time because I didn't have to. That's a good sign. When that fourth guy is just sitting there, okay, I'll get in the cart. That's that's what you do if you're playing in a scramble. And I would also tell the guys in a scramble, you don't have to swing like King Kong. Because you're you're not going to hit directed it. right at me. You're not going to usually hit it very solid doing that, and you're going to hit it really crooked. And and we know T.W. doesn't go into the woods looking for your balls because they're snakes. That's right. So, Neither no, do I. I'm going to go help you. So uh, <laughs> now I'd, I'd tell him I would Sam. I'd say putt. Go yep. putt. Go putt. Go and putt. you know who's been making a lot of putts recently and hitting a lot of fairways and hitting a lot of greens. That's Taylor Gooch. And we talked about this, Woody, on the radio show. Ended up winning again back-to-back on live. First back-to-back winner on live. But won, what, two nights ago, uh, late our time, or early in the morning our time in Singapore. And, Woody, I got to get your thoughts on this. Because it seems like, and we've heard Taylor say this on the podcast to our face. And he said, when I hit fairways... I can compete with anybody in the world. And he's hitting these low stingers, not only with three woods, but with the driver as well. He's finding something to put the ball in the fairway. And we saw the same thing when he shot 62-62. What did he do? Hit 89% of the fairways and over 95% of the greens in those first two rounds. And he's striking the ball the same way or struck the ball the same way in Singapore. What do you when you watch Taylor's game right now, nothing is special, but that's what makes it special, yeah. right? And and oh, kind yeah. of expand on that. Well, it, and you hit the nail on the head there. Everybody talks about it with with what I'd say tour players. You got to putt. Everybody worries about the putting, and putting is critical. But if you can't drive the ball well, I think there's more guys that lose their playing privileges on tour that drive it badly than they do putting. Um, you know, we had Scott Verplank on that one time when he was going through injuries, but 
the man couldn't hit a fairway, and and he was not real long at the time. So it, no matter how good Scott putted, and he was a great putter his whole life, he couldn't save himself. So when you look at Taylor, though, what I like about the shot he's hitting right now off the tee is exactly what you said. He is hitting a shot that he, he can find it. It's not the prettiest looking shot when you see the tracers and stuff like that. In fact, it looks, you know, kind of funky, but <laughs> so does John Rahm's. If you look at it, John Rahm's yep. tee shots tend to move a, quite a bit from left to right. Yep. And what you'll see on all really good players, the cut off the tee is when guys start doing their damage. Once they can find that what we call a squeezer, uh, you know, where you just squeeze it down and it just it just fades out there maybe 20, 20 yards and goes right in the middle of the fairway. And like you say, with Taylor's in the fairway, he's a phenomenal iron player. Well, so I think one of the reasons behind that too is, so this new modern golf, as we would call it, was the deal. You hit it high as you can with no spin and let the ball go far. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the old Johnny Miller quote. The, the higher the ball goes, the more time it has to get offline. So I think what will happen a lot of people get into is they want to hit the ball high with no spin, hit it far. But then you can have essentially no control of your ball. So it seems like TG's kind of almost gone backwards in time right off the tee box and saying, let's just – and I get Singapore is one of those courses. You don't have to overpower it by any stretch, but you just want to put it in play. But it's like – it's such a good shot to have, right? Because it's – just keep the ball in play. And, I mean, he even said in our podcast, I'm going to hit a five-iron bear and most of these guys hit a seven-iron. So yeah, I might next, as well put it in there. Next time we have him on, I want to ask him about this because he is such a great iron player, probably one of the top ten iron players in the world right now. But – would he talk about this because, you know, in, especially in the modern game, guys love to swing up on the driver, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like he's swinging up on the driver or the three-wood, and he probably is a little bit, but he's hitting that low stinger, and I wonder if he just, you know, went to this stinger over and over and over again and said, screw trying to hit up on it and trying to hit it far. I'm going to put the ball in the fairway, right? And And I think that he's using a little bit more of his iron swing than he is you know, the modern driver swing. And maybe that's just me being a casual, you know, I'm not a teacher, but what do you tell me if I'm right or wrong? No, you're pretty spot on. But keep in mind, too, like, as little golf as I play right now, the driver I'm playing with right now, it has 10 and a half degrees aloft. Well, I've I've got it tweaked a little bit down, so it's probably 10 degrees. But I've slid the weight on the bottom of my stealth all the way over to fade. Well, all I've done is I've just produced a golf club that I can trust this shot i'm not going for distance i'm going for accuracy i know it's going to cut if i swing even halfway decent it's going to cut well when looking at taylor that's what it looks like he's found he's found this little shot that he trusts and he's not worried about like what you guys are saying not worried about getting it way up and it spins he's not worried about anything like that he's not short it's still getting out there so he's he's just I guess when he was talking the other night on our podcast, you guys remember, he said, we get our these little pieces of it when it's all right, and we got to make hay when we do. Well, I'd say $9 million is making hay. That, that, that's well, a lot before, of hay. Before, before taxes, Australia well, takes before it all, all the taxes, by, by the way. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to get into the taxes this poor guy has to pay. But, you know, it's a funny thing when you talk about paying taxes. 
that's good news, bad news. Bad news, you got to pay the taxes. Good news, you made a lot of money. That's so, right. so there's going to be some left over, but it would probably make you want to vote a different way as <laughs> you start well, to make that kind of money. So. Well, well, Tito, that by the way, he didn't even give the people that wrote those articles on the Australian taxes time to you know get those out before he won another four million in Singapore. So exactly. I think he kind of was like, okay, Australia, you're going to take all my money. I'm going to go win win I'm, more money in Singapore, I'm, right? I'm go yeah. win some more, and it's Cedar Ridge. He's going to not get taxed quite as much when and, when Sam no, picks too many wins again. Yeah. Teed up for the listeners out there that might not know what we're talking about. Do you have those numbers in so, front of you? Yeah. So he was on. Um, oh, let me figure out exactly what podcast he was on real quick. Um, get make sure to give them credit. I think it was for the people. That's exactly what it was. It was for with, the people with and, Peterson, right? Yeah, and essentially said that he looked at his bank account and saw like one point nine million dollars was missing. Woody and is wondering why that was. And <laughs> well, the, the, the damn Australian government decided to take forty seven and a half percent just right out from under you. So you look at that and i mean usually woody when your check's missing you know for someone like me if it's missing a couple hundred bucks that's when i'll notice but 1.9 million i mean yeah. that's that's kind of eye catcher well that's good you know what's cool about that is taylor's still looking yeah. <laughs> you know and, and 1.9 million would would get my dander up uh i would want to know hey, whoa 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 you know but no that's what happens whenever you play i was telling you guys i, I happened to finish second in the canadian open at toronto and and guess what I got a big hunk taken out of there. But back in those days, my, my tide for second was $88,000, guys. Wow. Yeah, that's how little money we were playing for. But they, they took about 35%. So and then you got to pay state taxes on top of you, that wherever you, you live. Come, then you well, come unless back. you live in Texas or Florida, which right. is why you see a bunch or, of pros or live in Texas yeah. or Florida yeah. or Nevada. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But, you know, Oklahoma doesn't ding you too bad. Oklahoma's pretty good. And, yeah. and, and it's so, not California. It's right. not California. So, you know, and it, it is it, it, once you start – you get over the shock of it. I guarantee. You, I never one point nine million. I I would I would kind of. Well, you think uh, about that, and then plus on top of paying Mal Baker the caddy, oh yeah. and then on top of paying your agent. I mean, we were talking about before we came on the air. <clears throat> what he made just over nine million dollars, guys, and probably walked away after these last two weeks with around six. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Well, yeah. and you just got everyone else in your team you have to pay, right? The, the thing he has going for him now is I do believe all the travel and stuff is covered by the Range Goats team as opposed to the individual player. So right. that, that's going to help a little bit when you're going to Australia and you're going to Singapore and all this. But, yeah. uh, but you, also gotta remember, you also got to remember that he's not a captain. Very right? true. Yeah, Bubba, so, Bubba's the guy that owns the equity in that team, too. So he doesn't right. have that. Now, he does have the guaranteed contract that we don't know the exact specifics on, but I'm sure it's pretty healthy. Yeah, and I mean, just it's... It's crazy that you look at that and everyone says it right, Woody. Thanks about on the PGA Tour they said this right. Oh well, so and so made eight million dollars. It's one of the arguments against live. These guys are making so much money. Well, once you sit down, you add up everything. It, it, the it, number you see is not what they're making. No, and it, it cuts into it quickly. But you know what's kind of funny about this? When we think back, when it was such a story when Taylor left. Because he was on the rise on the PGA Tour, and we all talked about this as an up-and-comer. We we knew he was going top to Top 10 in the FedEx Cup, top 30 bet. in the world, yeah. He was going, and we were all excited about it. And then we were all kind of caught a little bit off guard when he decided to go to the live. And there was a lot of people bashing him. I mean, and and he he threw some quotes out there that in the heat, you know, where he's excited and he says, "Oh, this is like the Ryder Cup," and they buried him on it, which I hate. He's just excited about what he's doing now. He's doing something that he loves doing. But when you really think about it, I'll challenge anybody listening. Somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm going to guarantee you this," 
and you're going to play for this. And 11 months later, who knows how much money he is in the bank. You think any one of these guys would say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Every I, single player in the world is doing that now. It's yeah. just either with the TGL on the PGA Tour, under the table, quote-unquote, right? It, or it's going the guys, on. Like, yeah. That's exactly yeah. what your question was like, to him on the podcast. If they said thank you, have the PGA Tour players said thank you. And they should. And they have. And they, <laughs> and they, they have. sure should. Yeah. Um, it's, like, it's like saying thank you to Tiger Woods for all the guys that – we're making 88000 for finishing tied right. for second. Yeah. Tiger Wood comes along and boom. So I think it, it, what you got to remember is egos are big on any professional athlete. And, and so everybody wants to talk. Uh, but when it all the dust settles, if you're looking out for your family, which is what Taylor Gooch should be doing, he made the right decision, gentlemen. That's all I'm saying. Well, and I'm just glad, Sam, that his play is starting to validate that, right? I mean, I, I don't feel like that. Besides Sam, no one really prognosticated he was going to win back-to-back weeks, but Sam did a great job. But I just feel like – He's going to win in Tulsa, too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. The, the old turkey, the old three-peat. Yep. But uh, I just feel like, guys, that we've been – over the course of the last couple of weeks, I just feel like – Everything that's coming to fruition, we called. Like, I just feel like we've been Nostradamus on this whole going lift thing. Okay, the PJ Tour is going to make more money. Okay, that happened. Um, you're going to see more players go. Okay, fine. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It just seems like all these things that people. You're going to see, see people embrace it. Yeah, and it just seems like everyone is so shocked by these things. Like, the official World Golf Ranking thing is getting a lot more garnered than it was, you know, just even a couple because months ago. How can and you ignore it, right? I mean, five players. Five different players from Live have finished in the top six of the last two majors combined. Hello. Think about that. Yeah. That's yeah. just under 50% Well, in the in- top six. And three out of the top four in the Masters, so it's impossible to ignore, guys. Um, and that's why I think that, you know, especially for Taylor, I'm happy because it's kind of a coronation and this the Live Singapore win impressed me even more because it's such a statement win for so many different reasons. I mean, staring down two Hall of Famers in the final group, Sergio and Brooks Kepka, dealing with the rain delay. You know, he gets, it, like he talked about last week on our show before Singapore, he was saying, yeah, I'm very happy that I won, but I want to win as a team for the mm-hmm. Range Goats because of all the trash talk that DJ talked to him saying, enjoy Miami because that's the last time you're getting on the podium. Well, then he goes out. And makes a statement to DJ guys and goes out and wins for the Range Goats and himself in Singapore. And also, the obvious statement was to the USGA. I mean, we we joke about it at the start of the show, but it's ridiculous that three out of the four majors are letting Taylor play because he earned it. He was in the top 29. He was in the top 30 of the FedEx Cup rankings last year which made him eligible for the U.S. Open, and they changed it on him. And I think it was a huge statement that Taylor made to the USGA. And my point, Woody, is that, yes, say that they they change those rules in February every year. Say that that's true, which I think is ridiculous, and I do think that they had live on their mind when they changed the language in that rule. But to me... Why would the USGA want to argue against a top 20 in my mind, and I think everybody else's mind, player in the world, playing in their golf tournament? It makes their field weaker. It makes no sense. So it was a statement win for so many different reasons, Woody, and we talked about it on the radio show, and I'll get more thoughts from Tita, but i got to hear Woody's thoughts. Well, you know, I didn't 
I didn't play in a whole lot of USGA events. I played a, a couple of amateurs, a couple of opens. Um, one thing I'll tell you that they'd had their little blue blazers and their white shirts and their red ties, and they were all that in a bucket of chicken. And they 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 felt like they could do whatever they wanted to when they wanted to. And this is a pretty much a perfect example of them still having that attitude. I think that they've gotten in bed probably deeper with the PGA. They're than taking any up for of, their buddies at the PGA yeah, Tour. Let's call it what it is. Them. Yeah, and even Fred Ridley. Has, yeah. has, has, They're has, all changing has, the language in that yeah. rule because, guys, listen to this. And a lot of people will say, oh, well, if they were really singling out Taylor Gooch in this scenario, then they wouldn't have had all those players play live players play at the Masters or live players play in the PGA or U.S. Open. But people have to realize that they're freezing out the young live players from major championships in the future. And if this language continues that, you know, guys can't move from the PGA Tour to live and still play in the major championships, live is not going to be able to sign young guys because they're not going to be able to get into the majors. And so that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to freeze out young players like a Taylor Gooch and Joaquin Neiman right now, but also guys like Chikara and, you know, Sam Bennett or Gordon Sargent or any of these guys that might think about signing with Liv in the future, those guys are not going to be able to get in the majors in the next five years unless people start realizing that this is all ridiculous, right, D-Dub? Yeah, and that was the point I was just about to make is I feel like this isn't even necessarily just a thing against Gooch. It's a thing for the future because last year what we see on, like, we had a decent amount of guys go to live initially with the first one in London, but a lot of them sort of like, I I get Cam Smith won the British Open, so he's not necessarily in this category, but he left after the Tour Championship. And so what what you could see in the future is some guy like a Taylor Gooch who qualifies for the Tour Championship. Let's say they don't win a major or anything like that to move on. So that way, this upcoming year, they can say, oh, well, we did it in the past, Woody's, to where we didn't allow you in because you made the Tour Championship, didn't qualify, and now now we're, we're going to do it then. So I feel like it's not necessarily them against TG. I think it's more of a let's look into the future because this could be something that uh, we let live players in who currently are in live whenever they may not have been beforehand. Well, and you guys are both right on base. If, if you are the PGA tour though guys and this is what i always try to do is be the outside looking in you'd be doing the exact same things you would be saying okay how do i keep these young superstars on my tour okay because i've already had some defects people left that i never dreamed would leave cam smith being one of them well and they see the future of live signing nil deals with college players without a doubt you yeah. know, so it's and then the PGA Tour responded with giving PGA Tour U PGA Tour cards now, right? right and so right. we're already seeing those changes being made that people aren't even talking about yet, but are going to be important in two or three years. And 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 with that being said, you also got the other side of the coin where Liv is showing not only are they getting stellar players, but this money is not fabricated; it's taxed, so it's yeah. real. Okay, if, if, right, if yeah. Australia's taking almost two million of his four, it's real money, or that wouldn't be happening. So, even if you are a young player, they're going to have to make those same decisions that Taylor Gooch made. Okay, am I going to bet on the come that they are going to figure out a way for me to play in the majors? And is it worth the risk to go make millions and millions of dollars to make my family secure? where I don't have to worry about things. Because, guys, no matter what you want to say, 
even though golf's not like basketball or football or something like that where they could get hurt, they do get hurt. Guys ask get Anthony hurt. Anthony Kim. Yeah, ask Kepka. Uh, yeah, Kepka. ask Anthony Kim, yeah. So if you're an athlete and you're looking at your longevity, and I still think if we could get Taylor on, I'd love to ask him the question next time over there because I told you his dad was a minor league baseball player, very yeah. good baseball player, and got hurt. And I think his dad was in his ears saying, son, I, I, if I had that opportunity, I'd take the money and run. And don't, don't beat the guy up because of that. that. That's just a business decision and good for him. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, he's a wine bag because now he made that choice. He decided he was going to leave and now he can't get in this golf tournament. Kind of, but the way they did it was really bogus. It was it was he earned that. Yeah. Now next year, I don't know, but the the whole thing here is is I just always like you guys to realize if you were the PGA Tour, you would be mediating it like you they're doing. They're bashing it in every way they can. You'd be trying every way you could to keep those guys from going. But what's that tell you that Liv's doing? It's working. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely because they're still they're still trying to figure this deal out. They thought they would be gone by now. Live wasn't going to make it. Well, no, not only is it making it, it actually keeps growing. So they're in a world of hurt right now. Is what I'm telling you guys. They got to cut. They got to put a big bang on it, and this is how they're doing it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not going away anytime soon. Let's just, just get over that. But, uh, I mean, just back to the TG thing. I mean, looking at the analytics of it, before he won down in Australia, he was the 43rd ranked player analytically and I believe 57th in the world. Currently, he's the 21st player analytically and 60th in the Fisher World Golf Rankings. So, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, Woody, we were kind of talking about earlier, right? Hopefully he can play good enough at, at Oak Hill in the PGA Championship now that he's in it to go ahead and just move up into the top 50. And then I believe if you finish top three or four at the PGA, it'll get you into the other major. So that would be another goal of his. So, uh, so yeah, it's just at, we're at a point now, Sam, to where if you're on – because even if, even if they had a first world golf rankings, right, a lot of uh, people will say against Liv, they'll say, oh, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get that many points anyway. Well, if you, if you win two in a row, you're going to get some damn points, you know, and you're going to move up. If you finish 15th or 20th, okay, you might not. But, I mean, should you get that many points you finish down there? Probably not. It's just – I don't know, Sam. Something's going to have to be done at some point because this is becoming an absolute joke, and I think more people around the world are starting to see it. No, absolutely. And like I said, three out of the four top finishers at Augusta National played on live. Play on live. And so my point here is that eventually, like we talked with Taylor, they're going to have to take the top ten guys at least from live if they're not going to give them official world golf ranking. Otherwise, we're going to continue to – isolate fans who realize that the official world golf ranking is obsolete like you just said analytically 21st player in the world but he's ranked 60th in the official world golf ranking eventually i think you're gonna have to start putting asterisks on major championships that use official world golf ranking as a way to fill their field i know that's a strong statement but at the same time if you're keeping guys like a taylor gooch out of your major and by the way i've seen a lot of stupid arguments on twitter about oh, you know, it's an open, Taylor could go qualify. Really? You think that, you know, Rory McIlroy, by the way, Taylor Gooch is playing a whole lot better golf than Rory McIlroy over the last month. You're going to make Rory McIlroy go to sectional qualifying? How stupid is that? And why are we arguing against having the best players in the world play each other? Eventually, fans are going to realize that, and common sense and cooler heads are going to have to prevail, I I think. I think. Well, we say that, and, and we hope that. But we were discussing just a minute ago when we weren't on the air, I was lucky enough to play Oak Hill at the, the 2008 Senior PGA. It sets up perfect for Taylor, guys. I mean, sets up 
absolutely perfect. A lot of fades off the tee shots. Must hit it in the fairway. It, this rough, if it's anything like it was in 208, let me tell you something. It was nasty. And I just think the golf gods, <laughs> we talk about them, they're going to make sure he's in that U.S. Open. And, and if the only way he's going to do it, he's going to be in the top 10 PGA. I, I honestly believe, guys, the heater he's on and the way he's got his confidence going, don't be surprised if he's hoisting that trophy. Then what the hell's PGA going to do? Oh, my. <laughs> that would be unbelievable. <laughs> but, but, Woody, one thing that was really impressive with TG's golf this last week, and I want your opinion on this, because it's ironic because you, you helped with the Carl Albert High School team, which is where he went at. Yep. And one of the things you tell us about the high school kids is that they have no damn short game. Their short game's horrible, especially their lag putting is horrible. <laughs> TG goes out there and hits some of the, the best lag putts I've ever seen. It's like Lag even, putting did win him the golf tournament. Well, it's like no uh, doubt. not only not only what is he hitting 90-footers up there to, you know, even if you hit it to four feet, that's a good putt. He's hitting up there to a foot, tap yeah. in. I yeah. mean, I mean, what kind of work do you think he's been putting in on those lag putting to be able to get that good? You know, you guys, we all played enough golf. Lag putting is, it's like pitching out of the trees in a lot of ways. It looks like it should be an easy shot, but yet when you watch people do it, they screw that up as much as anything. Lag putting, what it tells me is how confident he is and how good his feel is. Because if you were asking him, well, how in the world did you lag that 90-footer to a foot? He would tell you, I'll bet you. He'd go, yeah, I don't know. I just saw the break and I let the putter go. And most people, when you're I did lag see him putting, doing one thing with Mal Baker. Mal Baker was pointing out a spot three feet in front of him, right. even on like the long sixty and ninety. He did it on the ninety footer, yep. pointing out a spot three feet in front of him, Focus and then just on feeling it. on the speed. Yeah. What was yep. interesting about that too is like it wasn't a dialogue between it. It was Mal was telling him where to go, and three seconds later, TG was hitting the putt. It's like well, he has so much confidence and belief in his caddy, which is something that I mean, you know, this Woody playing on tour, it's like you. That's a hard thing to buy. Well, it is, and, and it just shows you that little zone he's in right now, that, that he doesn't see anything bad happening, okay? And that's, that's big, guys. I'm telling you, where when he gets up on a tee box, he doesn't see water. He doesn't see trees. He sees that little butter cut he's sitting out there, and he just he goes, and he goes, and he goes. And Patrick Cantley might want to look at it. And I, he needs you know to study because I mean? badly. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this boy is focused right now. And what I love about Taylor is he told us the other night, I don't know how long this is going to run, but I got it. And I'm going to run yeah. it until it does because it's going to – it'll end. We all know it ends, but good for him. And, guys, back to the golf real quick because, obviously, Taylor has struggled a little bit with the driver in the past. What impressed me the most about this win golf-wise in Singapore was that he stepped up on that 18th tee, and the driver is the reason why he won the golf tournament. Now, the one did land over the water by about a foot, but it did land over the water, and then he was in the mayor's office, guys. And Sergio, on the other hand, did not trust. I think that that's the only reason why he could have possibly not hit driver on that hole. It's because he did not trust to start the driver with a left-to-right shot over that water and didn't feel comfortable with it. And Sergio hits three wood, ends up hitting two spinny three woods into the green. So he was going three wood, three wood, whereas Taylor was giving himself a better opportunity to put it on that green and put the tournament away. And Taylor having the guts to hit driver and put that ball into the fairway is the reason why he beat Sergio in the playoff and really put the pressure on Sergio on 18 in regulation. Now, Sergio made the seven-footer 
in regulation. Well, but, yeah. but guys, I mean, when Sergio hit the high spinning one into the bunker, TG being on the green put that much more pressure on Sergio, and that's why TG ended up winning. I think when you, you called that beautifully, and, and, of course, Taylor made a lot of putts early that were important to keep him in the lead, but when he goes mono-mono against somebody that he even said, Sergio's kind of – he loved Sergio when he was younger watching him. So to go out and beat one of your idols kind of is even tougher. But what it showed me, though, is just what we were talking about. A player reaches a certain point where he decides – I'm going this way. Uh, I think back to the, one of the biggest tournaments I ever won was the Senior Club Championship up in Virginia. I was on the 18th hole. I'd struggled with this par five over and over and over again. I'd always I played too cautious. I'd lay up, lay up, lay up, and I'd bogey the damn thing all the time. It just <laughs> used to piss me off so bad. And on the last day, the last hole, I needed to make birdie, I thought, to win the golf tournament. Well, I finally just decided, you know what? Quit being a coward. Take this driver out. Hit that tight little cut that you know how to hit. I ended up doing it. I pulled the driver out, drove it perfectly. Then I ended up hitting a rescue club that ends up two feet from the hole. I make eagle. Little did I know the guy in front of me had buried the hole, so I needed eagle to win the hole or win the golf tournament. And and it, <laughs> it's just so happened the golf gods were with me. Make eagle and win. But the fact that I got on that tee and I finally said, you know what? I got this shot. That's what I saw in Gooch. And one thing I'm seeing from Gooch is you, you brought it up perfectly earlier, Sam, about the trying not hit up on it on a driver. I relate it to a lot to like what Henrik Stenson deals with with his swing, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like he hits a three-wood off the tee all the time, and he kind of struggles with the driver. And I think that's because yep. with a driver, you have to hit up on it to hit it good. And with every other club, you hit down. And so I think TG's probably realized, you know, like he's he's never going to be the longest player out there, and he's not going to be the straightest either. So it's no. like, you know, that's probably going to be his weakness for the rest of his game. So it's, you know, be able to control that and then let the other a- aspects of your game take over and take control. And I think that it's it's kind of a level of maturity, right, realizing that that's I don't it. have to do the, the biggest, best things in the the world to win this tournament. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. It, it's called it's called becoming a professional to a T. It's maturing. It's saying, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? How do I figure out how to do this? But that takes time. It, we were talking about Austin Eckroat. You know, he's had a couple good turns. He struggled some other tournaments. That's that's the process, guys. It's a learning process. There's aren't very many Tiger Woods that come out and just say, I've already learned. See you guys, okay? Yeah. There's no doubt about that, guys. And to win back-to-back weeks, you also have to have a little bit of luck go your way. Or some would say a lot of luck go your way, even though he has been playing unbelievable elite golf. But, guys, I felt like Taylor really took a hold of this tournament, and it could have gone a different way. After the rain delay, when Brooks Kepka missed the six-footer left, uh, you know, hit the left lip right after the rain delay, and TG was on the green but didn't give himself a chance at birdie, hit a great lag putt up there. But if Brooks could have made that putt, it would have given him some momentum. Sergio was in jail on that hole, and... Guys, I do want to talk about Brooks and Sergio and Cam Smith. Phil Mickelson shot back-to-back five-unders in this tournament. There's a lot of live guys that can make a run in some of these major championships coming up later in the year, and I think that Brooks is hitting the ball amazing right now. Just couldn't buy a putt this week. 
No, I mean, Brooks is playing some exceptional golf. I mean, going all the way back to the Masters, everyone knows. But, uh, I mean, finished one out of the playoff this week. I mean, I think he's got to be on everyone's shortlist at, at Oak Hill. I mean, what do you play there? Do you think uh, Oak Hill sets up good for Kepka? It does. He hits a lot of the same drivers that Taylor's hitting now. That He, he likes to squeeze that little left or right shot down there also. So, But Brooks has a different gear. Like oh, we saw in 18, oh, he can oh, unleash. Oh, yeah. he. I mean – Kepka has always been a better driver than Taylor simply because of his power, uh, which he, it's hard to take that power away. If you've got it, you've got to use it. But Oak Hill, there are some long par fours, but most of them are not, guys. It's, it's really based on getting it in play and being able to get the right part of the green. So, you know, I picked Kepka, and I'm glad he didn't win. <laughs> I mean, I could care less about me picking somebody, but – I, I feel Someone's like he's just, do it. yeah. yeah. I, feel like, I feel like he, I feel like it's you know leading into the gust and playing good there. He he's so solid. And um, if our listeners don't go to Tulsa to watch these guys play golf, what's Traber call him? Yard, yard bird. bird. Yeah, yard you bird. are yard bird. That's yard what bird. you are. Still never seen a yard bird, Woody. I don't know I don't what, know what it like. is either. I'd probably shoot it. <laughs> Would you eat it? Is the question. No, nah, I probably wouldn't do that though. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, any other final thoughts on Live Singapore? Obviously, Taylor becomes the first back-to-back winner on Live. The Range Goats do win. Taylor continuing the absolute heater. I was arguing with people. One last thing here. I was arguing with people that Taylor Gooch, to me, is the hottest player in professional golf right now. Now, it's kind of semantics because John Rahm has won, what, six times, finished second last week. It's hard to say that he's not the hottest player in professional golf. I think he's the best player in professional golf. But to me, Taylor Gooch right now is the hottest player in professional golf. Well, and to just to make this point, I, I, I get taxes there, so it's not like this. But if Taylor this last two weeks was on the PGA Tour, just this last two weeks mornings, He'd be third on the money list behind Scotty Scheffler and John Rom. He would be ahead of third Max Homa, who's made like seven point seven million this year. Gooch wow. making what eight point whatever it was, and yeah. I mean, so yeah, he would be third on, on that list. So I mean, yeah, that's uh, it's just absolutely insane on that. And uh, the main things I'm taking away from this tournament, Sam, is that. I'm treating Cedar Ridge as not like the echelon of a major, but I'm so excited to go up and see what these guys are bringing. And so while it, I don't know if the leaderboard would look the exact same, hopefully TG's up there, but whenever you play, because these guys aren't used to playing back-to-back weeks on, on live anymore, so that's I think it's good to see them maybe have a little bit of a break, and hopefully guys won't be looking too far ahead to the PGA Championship coming up. And, uh, you know, because usually on the PGA Tour a week before, you can still earn your way into the tournament by winning. You don't have that case this year. So it's just whoever's set before the tournament will be there and who won't be so that'll be interesting to see the, that at that tournament I'm just really excited for it it's uh, it, it's finally at the point now we're not going to have another one before Cedar Ridge it's only what a week and a half away now right. so that's what I'm most look forward to Woody yeah and it, that travel I've only done it a couple of times in my life when you when you go across an international dateline and lose days and then live two days again and I don't care how old you are or what shape you're in that takes a lot out of you so I'm hoping that Taylor's home I hope he's going to rest. Yeah, take um, a couple days off. Yes, because I think he's earned them. It, 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 it is a lot more difficult than people realize. It, your, your whole system gets so screwed up. And uh, he's going to need a little time just to get back on Oklahoma time. So, uh, But to think he wouldn't compete at Cedar Ridge, is the heater he's on, and is he the best player right now? You know, the cool thing about professional golf right now, guys, is we got choices. You know, as fun as it was when Tiger dominated, I think it's kind of more fun here because 
we could say there's five or six guys that are the hottest or the best player. I wouldn't want to play any of them. I dang sure wouldn't want to play TG right now. Yep. Unless I caught him right as he came off that airplane or that jet lag and he gives me <laughs> five five aside and I get to play the senior <laughs> tees, I might take him on them. But other than that, I'm not touching that boy. He's too good right now. Well, here, let, let's just go down the uh, the data golf rankings. Let's see where exactly – because he's 21st right now, so let's stop at the also, line. Also, I have a question about data 21st golf rankings is real so quick. Bogus. Because to me – He's higher than that in the last two weeks. Do they favor PGA Tour tournaments since they do Duh. actual shot length? Well, on Data Golf though, it, it goes yeah. based off analytics. the The thing about the live tournaments on Data Golf is they don't go, you know, strokes gained off the tee, strokes right, gained right. approach. They just go strokes gained total. I think what because it, the analytics are generally based off of strokes gained total. So what I think this is probably over the course of a two-year span or something like that. So, I mean, you know, TG's been playing some great golf at least recently. But, but he also another point is you're not going to gain as many shots on a 48-man field mm. as you are a 150-man field. Yep. Yeah, there, there's a lot because you can do the strokes gained by just based off of the course they're playing. You can do it based off of, of the field they're playing. There's a lot of different ways to, to calculate that. But just going off of this list, okay, so you have Rom, Scheffler are, are one and two, Finau's third, Cantlay's fourth, Rory's fifth, Shoffley's sixth, Sunjay M's seventh, Spieth eighth, Morikawa nine, Cameron Young ten. I mean, I'm, depending on the course setup, I mean, I would take TG over Sunjay M right now for sure. I mean, Cam Young? Cam Young, I mean. Cam Young, if you get on a bomber's paradise, yep. I think Cam Young is going to be pretty hard to beat. But um, and Spieth. then even, even yeah, I take him over Spieth every day. <laughs> right, right now, right now yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Then after that, you got the likes of, of Javi, JT, Matty Fitz, Jason Day, Terrell Hatton, Max Homa, who's who's actually seventh in the world, is down sixteenth. And then luckily, Sam Burns is around there as well. Then you get down to Cam Smith. It's just I I feel like that obviously course has a lot to do with it. But whenever you're just going head to toe against these other guys, I think I'd put him up in the six to seven range right now it's going to be really interesting like you guys said live tulsa coming up may 12th through the 14th the week before the pga taylor if you haven't heard is in the pga through a special exemption that he basically <laughs> it's all confusing t-dub but basically the point system right now is correlated directly with the pga tour money list but to fill the field they also use official world golf ranking even though it isn't in the bylaws so he got a special quote-unquote exemption but it was based on him being 59th in the official world golf ranking at the time yeah so the pga is weird because the masters is a pretty limited field you know exactly what you have to do to get in that the other two are open so they have a lot of qualifying they really just have their only other exemptions to make sure you guys don't have to qualify so the pga feels what 150 something man field and and they have no qualifying at all for that so they have to come up with some way to get get the full field not just have uh you well, know the club pros out there playing. right we got the 20 club pros you know because that's how i played in the pga i didn't i never qualified the pga well i did in 92 uh but i i never really qualified for the pga through the pga tour when i played my pgas it was through a club pro right <laughs> so that's what was kind of weird about that well, fellas, let's go ahead and hit a break. After the break, we're going to hear from the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, Ryan Hibble, and then we're going to get into the battle between Tony Finau and John Rahm right here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Definitely go hit that subscribe button. It's absolutely free, and it just helps us out, and it will give you a notification when we drop great episodes like our interview with Taylor Gooch or our interview coming up today with Ryan Hibble. All right, let's go ahead and hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, Oklahoma's leader in golf. 
Join the hype. Live Golf is coming to Tulsa at Cedar Ridge Country Club, May 12th through the 14th. See the top players who include DJ, Taylor Gooch, Bill Mickelson, Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, and Bryson DeChambeau battling it out. This is high stakes golf with a whole new vibe and a whole new energy. Rally your squad now and see the big names with big swings compete in this new global league. Tickets are selling fast. Get yours now at livegolf.com. That's livegolf.com. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And like I mentioned earlier on in the show, now we are joined by the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, Ryan Hibble. And coach, I mean, congratulations. Back-to-back Big 12 championships. We'll get into the great consistent play of your team, but I just wanted to start it off by saying a big congratulations. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, it's always so special to be able to win our conference. You guys know how how difficult it is, right? Uh, I just was telling a story this morning about uh, I had a USA Today writer uh, call me after our 17 national championship uh, win, and, and he was talking about how we had finished fifth at the conference. He's like, Coach, how do you finish fifth at conference and then win the national championship? I'm like, well, I need to give you a little history lesson in our conference and what that means. And, of course, you guys understand it and appreciate it. I mean, Oklahoma State and Texas, and Texas Tech's been one of the best teams in the country this year. You throw in Baylor and TCU, and before you know it, it's, our conference has been uh, arguably one of the toughest conferences in the last you know 10 to 12 years, and, and we're just super thankful to have gotten it this year. Yeah, Co- Coach, I mean, that's absolutely true. And one thing that I thought was, was very fascinating was that this was the first time that your team had won a conference championship on Prairie Dunes, which, I mean, I don't know exactly how many y'all have played, but I know it had been there on a pretty regular basis. So just talk to us about what it meant to win a conference championship on such a prestigious golf course. Yeah, it was, you know, Prairie Dunes has certainly eluded us. Um, that was my fifth time going around, and it's arguably my favorite golf course in the central part of the country. It's such a grind. You know what you're getting into up there with the weather, the winds you know, the great protector of Perry Maxwell's gym. And um, it's just, it's amazingly special place. And, you know, I, I just kind of put two and two the other day. We, we won an 18 over at Southern Hills. Last year we won down at Whispering Pines. And this year at, at Prairie Dunes, we've kind of hit the trifecta in the last six years. And, and it's just very special to be able to go around Prairie Dunes. And uh, especially in the fashion that we did, we got off to a really nice start which we've kind of struggled with our starts this spring. We've been really good at closing, and, and um, you know, we had talked about getting off to the type of start that we needed, and we did it, and the guys just kind of dug their heels in and uh, didn't let go. Coach, it's Woody. Um, I think your job is so much more difficult now because of the sub rule. That would be what drive me crazy as a coach because you you take those five guys back in the day and you just had to coach them through and get them through. How difficult for our listeners out there is it for you guys to go, gosh, I hate to pull you, but I got to, and then to find the right guy to put in there? Yeah, it is interesting. I, I've been a huge proponent of the sub rule, and a lot of it's because we recruit all these guys to, to be on our golf team, and then you have to load up in the van and 
and everybody else back home can't help you, right? So uh, it's been a really great change for our sport. And and five years ago, it was kind of a tough pill to swallow as a you know program, as a coach, as a player. But now it's becoming just normal. We we have. What like in the NBA, you got a six man award, right? And those guys are, are as as valuable as any position on, on the court, and and that's the same thing with our golf program. Is our guys know going into championship season that if you're in that in that six man role, you got to be ready for that opportunity. And um, you know our guys are, are kind of coached up in that area. Uh, it's not a super easy decision, uh, and those conversations aren't aren't super fun, right? Uh, to to pull a guy, but. They all know what what this is about, and it's about winning a team championship. And for you know Stephen Campbell, who I pulled, it wasn't a lack of belief in what he had going on. It was more of a belief that I saw where Jake Holbrook's game was leading up the week, kind of prior to in practice and and in the practice round. And I've been around Prairie Dunes many many times with guys where they're struggling, and Prairie's a tough place to get it back. So I felt like it was the just kind of the right moment to do it. And uh, but you know what? If it didn't work out. Steve was going to be ready to go right back in there. And that's just kind of what our game's evolved into. So it's actually becoming very normal, uh, to be honest with you, Woody. Coach, I mean, the consistent play was what stood out to me from your team. Two guys in the top five, Patrick Welch, Vinny, the cross-handed bandit, ends up finishing tied for third, shot 70, 68, 70, 70. I mean, that's unbelievable golf. One of the only four guys that were under par uh, at Prairie Dunes in those tough conditions. And then Drew Goodman was even par for the tournament, solo fifth place. Um, And then you also have Ben Lorenz right there in the top ten as well. You had to have been proud of your team's consistency on a tough golf course in those tough conditions obviously Ludwig Aberg was playing a completely different golf course on that last day but those conditions were tough weren't they yeah the conditions up there were exactly what you you know expect to get out of Prairie the wind was blowing 15 to you know 25 every day it was it was chilly we we actually avoided the rain um so so that was that was nice but Overall, I mean, I feel like our guys just did a great job. I mean, uh, you didn't even mention Jay Summy, who struggled in the final round, but for the first three rounds did a phenomenal job for us to get us where we were at. Um, you know, Jay Colbrook coming in the last two rounds uh, was in the game and, and just did a, a fantastic job of, of stepping up. But, you know, I feel like for us to be elite, uh, Drew Goodman kind of has to be that guy. He hasn't played very well the last month or so. And it was great to see him get back into to his form that we're used to. Patrick uh, was solid all week long. And, you know, Ben Lorenz has just been – he's been one of the better college players in college golf since uh, January. Um, the the Patriot All-American, he finished the second. Uh, Puerto Rico, as an individual, he finished second. He's won at a Harding Park. He's just been really a, an important piece of the puzzle for us as far as us getting better this springtime. So just really proud of his – you know, um, stick to itness is his perseverance. His grit is really showing up. Um, you know, unlike what we've seen, and I'm I'm just really proud of him. He, it's been fun to watch. Coach, exactly two weeks from today, your team we we teeing it up at Jimmy Austin, your home course in the NCAA Men's Regionals. We won't know exactly who will all be there until Wednesday, but uh, just kind of enlighten us on how excited you are to playing a regional for the second straight year at your home course, and what uh, what kind of you expect for your team uh, that week. Well, hosting regionals is is always fun, and we've been you know privileged to be able to get that opportunity. I mean, last year was kind of a fluke. Alabama dropped. 
their hosting responsibilities because their golf course wasn't wasn't quite a, quite up to par, and they asked the number one seed, which was us. So we took it, and it was fantastic. This year we've got a little bit more prep time. I'm, I'm really looking for the sun to pop out and get up into those 80s so we can get this grass growing a little bit. But uh, we're going to be in, in a good spot, and you know, hosting is is so much fun because our guys get a chance to play in front of their home crowd, which we just don't get a chance to do very much in our sport. And, um, you know, it's it's always a little unique with, with the stress level. You always see the guys kind of struggle through some things that you normally don't see at your home golf course. But um, hopefully we can get over those nerves a little bit quicker this year and, uh, you know, just get settled in and go play our type of golf. You know, Coach, uh, you're making it hard on me this uh, last few years because uh, – with that nephew of mine, Tyler, I don't know if you know, he's my nephew that's your GM down there, Jimmy Austin. Uh, you guys, you, you keep winning, and I'm, I just get worn out by him, okay? So I'm, I'm happy for you guys, but gee whiz, I wish my Cowboys would figure out how to beat you now and then. Uh, yeah. To, just to give you a little. I think they're I had, doing okay. I had to put a burr in you on that one. But um, so regionals is at home, and that I was – kind of curious about that you kind of mentioned that you guys might come out a little tight i don't i hope not for them but tell me what you're thinking nationals wise what i know i'm not going to put the cart in front of the horse and go ahead of it but i get that but what what's on your mind with that Greyhawk coming up what what are you thinking about what team and who you got i think you'll get three regionals i'm pretty confident about that what, what about that one coming <laughs> i'm glad you're confident uh no i'm done teasing it Regionals is always such a stressful week for the coaches. I try not to make it be. It. I actually really love regionals week because it's your opportunity to, go, you know, be able to put. It's like you know your final test, right? Uh, you know, if, if you're not excited about showing what you can do, then then what have we been working for all year long? So I I really get excited about regionals and and try and make it into as fun of a week as we possibly can. Um, for Greyhawk, I, you know, we we've done it twice, so we don't really think about it to be honest with you, Woody until we get through next week. I know that sounds like coach speak, but it's true. I, I, w- I won't even talk about Greyhawk. Uh, I know this. I know that our depth is as good as, we've, as good as we've ever been. And we're at that point right now where I'm starting to feel more confident with if we were able to, to get to that match play piece that, that uh, our guys are going to be able to go win matches. So, uh, But outside of that, I'm not even thinking anything about Greyhawk because it's all going to be about prepping for, for – you know, home and Jimmy Austin and, and uh, you know, making sure that that we have as many opportunities to go try and win a, a regional championship and, and hopefully some individuals that have that opportunity. Coach, Woody brings up the Bedlam rivalry. And obviously in golf, in college golf, it's not as big of a factor what conference you're in. You kind of play different conferences every tournament other than the Big 12 Conference Championship. But do you have any, you know, kind of final thoughts as you head into the SEC? And are there some things that I'm missing um, that might change once OU heads to the SEC? And maybe say a few words on that, you know, Bedlam rivalry that we've seen throughout the years coming to an end at the Big 12 Championships. Well, uh, number one, we actually have one more conference championship. So next year, we're still in the Big 12 Conference. Okay, so, so it's not... Yeah, so Whispering Pines will be our last conference championship in the Big 12 before we head to the SEC. Um, but as we move into that conference, um, you know, our our athletic department, our all of our coaches, uh, our, our, our men's golf coach, our men's golf team, we're all excited about the change. Uh, 
not you know the Big Twelve has been phenomenal for us, especially from a men's golf conference. It's been arguably the best in the country. Um, but we've embraced you know the, the the change and what's getting ready to happen. So I'm not going to be looking back. Uh, that's for sure. Because we, I mean, I don't know why we would do that, right? And uh, you know, from our standpoint, we're getting ready to make big changes to our facilities. Um, it really doesn't change very much from a scheduling standpoint, Sam. You know, we kind of pick and choose wherever we go all year long. Uh, it obviously changes the conference championship, and they do 54 holes, and then they go into match play. So it'll change up a little bit about how our our conference championship looks, uh, and their <clears throat> their conference is super deep. Um, I would argue that over the years, our conference might have been a little bit more top heavy, but they have way way deeper uh, conference when it comes to uh, their their men's golf. So you know, it'll be some learning curves along the way, you know, for us, but. Sea Island is uh, that's where I played my conference championships when I played at Georgia, so I'm very familiar with the area and, and the golf course, and and uh, our guys will, will will fit in well when it comes to, to you know that conference championship. Now, Coach, I remember when we interviewed you at, at Jimmy Austin just a couple week or a couple months ago. I, I asked you how does this team compare to teams in years past, and you gave some tremendous insight in that. How have you seen the team evolve just over these last couple months? Because it seems like that they're starting to play their best golf at the right time. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's what we're kind of looking for every year is to uh, – people will call it peaking. I don't know if it's really peaking. It's just more about us figuring out who we are. And I think that we have kind of turned the corner, oh, probably a month, month and a half ago, where we started understanding, uh, you know, number one, what our lineup kind of needed to look like. Um, and then, number two, just trying to figure out, you know, what the – the heartbeat of the team and, and how do we click the best whenever we get on the road. So uh, the combination of both of those, I think, is making us look maybe a little different. But but overall, you know, the execution side of things is, is still huge for us. And, um, you know, making sure that our guys understand how how and where to put the ball and, and uh, having great short games and, you know, being as gritty and tough as we possibly can be. So, we got a lot. We got a lot of golf left, fellas. Hopefully, knock on wood, uh, we're able to make it to the end of May. And and uh, so our guys still going to continue to work and get better. And uh, yeah, so we've got quite a bit of golf left. Coach, give our viewers or our listeners an insight. This coming week, up preparing up for it. Do you guys have structured practice, or do you turn your guys loose and the ones that want to go play, play, or they work on their games, or do you guys structure it in any way? Yeah, that's a good question, Woody. I think everybody handles these these couple weeks differently. For me, this week is actually dead week. Our guys are getting ready for finals. Um, this week will be a little bit more of fun, fun golf, kind of going outside of our area and playing some different places. Um, not as much structured practice. We're going to actually just get out and go play some golf. Then next week, because we're hosting, it's a little bit different. And uh, we will be doing uh, a kind of Jimmy Austin prep work. And so, um, you know, this this week will be a little bit more fun. Next week is going to be a little bit more stressors to, to kind of understand uh, where we need to be. And then we'll then we'll let uh, let the horses go. Hopefully on on next on that following Monday. Yeah, that's good stuff, Coach. Uh, my last question here, and, and this is really just a you know clarity question for our listeners. 
T-Dub mentioned you guys are hosting at Jimmy Austin. Um, you know, when you look at the rankings in Golfstat and Golf Week right now, Tech is ranked ahead of you guys in that top ten. Now, do they get to pick where they go? And, and obviously, you guys are hosting at Jimmy Austin. Would they, you know, put Tech in your region possibly? Yeah, you know, there's a championship committee that kind of dictates exactly what's happening, and they've done it many different ways over the years. Talking to Greg Sands at Prairie Dunes uh, last week, he felt like that they would end up getting sent to our place, but nobody knows that for sure. I mean, the, everything's getting released on Wednesday on the Golf Channel, and, and we'll find out. You know, the more you try and make sense of it, the more it doesn't. So I just kind of sit back, and they tell us, uh, where to go and who's coming, and then we just go play golf. Uh, so I try not to make any more than, than what it is. Yeah, that, that's tremendous stuff, Coach. And, and, I mean, obviously from you being a coach, you, you don't really look at who's going to be coming to your regional, right? You just want to go out and, and play your, your best stuff possible. So, um, you know, it's sort of along those same lines. I mean, the guys have played the course so many times, right? It's not like you're going to a new course and trying to learn how to play it. So um, how exactly is that different from the sense of you're not going to a course to try to learn how to play it because you play it all the time? It is different. Um, to be honest with you, it's it's actually way different because just the whole locations get a little bit tougher. Our green our greens get a little bit, you know, firmer and quicker than, than what we play day in, day out. So it, it is a little bit different. I mean, obviously, we know where we need to hit the ball. We know the sidelines. We know all that stuff. But it's a it's a different vibe, and uh, we we prepare our guys for that as much as we can. Um, you know, fortunately for us, when you're hosting, there's no rules on how many times you can play leading up to the championship. As far as you know, nobody else can come on our property. I think it's ten days before the championship. But for us, we can keep playing it, so we can get it for the most part, as close to tournament ready as we can. And so our guys will kind of, you know, get comfortable that way. But um, it, it's more about calming the nerves of understanding that you got a lot of family coming in and, and a lot of friends are going to come out and watch. And those are the outside distractions. But ultimately, you know, we're in the entertainment business and our guys have to love playing in front of people. Coach, do you have any parting words to the OU fans that might want to come out and watch at the NCAA Norman Regionals? That's, by the way, it's on May 15th through the 17th, on that Monday through Wednesday. Uh, do you have any words uh, to the fans out there that, that want to come out and support? No, well, we'd love to see as many folks out here as possible. Uh, tea times usually range from 8 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a super long day. It's free to the public. So come on out. We'd, we'd love to hear as much noise and, and uh, you know, root our boys on and, and uh, obviously looking for a, a great week at, at regionals. So come on out. I appreciate the time, Coach, and congratulations again on the back-to-back Big 12 championships. Thank you all. Hey, everyone. T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage, and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. 
Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at McRayRoofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. And we're back here on the other side of the break on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Definitely go to GolfOklahoma.org and get all of your local golf news from Kim McLeod, Chris Swafford, doing a great job up in Tulsa. More on them in a minute, but right now we are joined by Debbie Martin, and Debbie does everything for the first tee. It may say that my dad is the president, but he's really not. He really doesn't do anything. He he refers everything to you, Debbie. You are the person that makes it all happen, and we are out here, obviously, today at the first tee of Oklahoma City fundraising golf tournament at Lincoln Park, and Number one, I mean, before we get into all the great things that the First Tee is doing, just let me know about what we have going on out here today in this great event. Uh, We have 244 players today, and that's the largest number of players we've had. Um, I'm just thrilled because we have some new sponsors, but I'm always grateful and thankful for those that come back every year. And this is actually our 20th year of operation this year. And we began teaching at Jimmy Stewart in the summer of 2003 with 75 students. So this is an exciting year for First Tee. And I know we've been around for a long time, but we're going to have a great day. And the weather is just phenomenal today. It, it truly is, Debbie. And you guys do such a great job around here. And I feel like the majority of, of people, Debbie, you know, they'll see the first tee around. They'll kind of see the commercials. They'll be like, oh, that's such a great organization. But they don't really understand what's inside of it and exactly what you guys do. So just let everyone know just all the great work the first tee does. Well, the first tee is really about impacting children. So it's not to create the professional golfer. Now, if one of those happens, that is great because that's just something that's a bonus. But what we are doing about is teaching healthy starts, life skills to children, and then having them actually put practical application out on the golf course. What I tell our coaches, if you're not teaching in a way that children can readily transfer what they learn at first tee to everyday life, then we failed to impact that child because it truly is about creating great community leaders and productive citizens of our community. Well, that speaks volumes for that program because we all know as golfers, we talk about it all the time. If you're around a golfer, usually it's a good gentleman or lady. They have manners. That's what I think is so cool about the first tee, and that was my question. I was glad to hear you say, we're not trying to get a tour pro. That That's really not what the first tee was designed to do, is to take kids, I'm thinking, and you're going to help me with this, and make them better citizens. Is Absolutely. That, isn't that it? Absolutely. So some of those things like... I would call the inherent values of the game of golf, perseverance, confidence, sportsmanship, honor, integrity. That's what we want our students to take away from first tee. 
and we use what we call experiential learning. So it's not just sitting in a classroom and saying, this is what judgment is as a definition. We want them to see that in practical application out on the golf course. So it's a seamless approach that we use at First Tee. So it's really like a lab of learning from the where we actually meet inside the facility to the green course. Debbie, you mentioned that facility, and let's talk about that for a second because it's unbelievable, and the changes that have even been made in the last decade are unbelievable. Obviously, if people have driven by the, the new clubhouse at James E. Stewart, right down the street from that is the new modern First Tee facility. Talk about that and, and what great things you have for the kids out there. We have a 5,500-square-foot learning center And then we have a par three course, we have a 40 bay driving range, we have a putting green, and we also have a short game. And so obviously we can't use all of that at one time because the driving range is actually on to where the the actual course uh, greens are. But we can do both. So we can have three different activities going at one time with the chipping, putting, and driving and rotate the children through those particular practical applications. Now, Debbie, this may be a fairly tough question, but you guys have been doing this for a long time, been doing so much great work. Are there maybe one or two stories that stick out to you, maybe some kids or individuals that you really helped them along the way that stick out to you? Um, I will not mention name in this one situation, um, but the family uh, were a working family. Uh, there were five children a set of twins and the elder of that child of that family was a young woman and uh, she was in her freshman year of high school and she and this was several years ago so she actually became part of the a virtual learning program because she just was not getting what she needed at school and she was being bullied as well and her father came to me and said Debbie I'm really concerned about her. I think she could possibly take her life. She is in such a state of depression. I started working with her just being a friend, a support system. And by the time she was a senior in high school, she was at Mustang. Um, She starred in the senior play, which was certainly a level of confidence she had not ever displayed. And then thirdly, she was one of the top Uh, golfers on her women's golf team at Mustang. So I saw that child turn around in a very productive way. She now is a PGM uh, and had lots of internship opportunities. Rashawn Payton was actually one of our first students. He's now an attorney, works for the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., and served as an intern for President Obama. His goal is to be a Supreme Court justice. We'll see if that happens. But very articulate, and he's actually done commentary on the Golf Channel for the first tee uh, championship at Pebble Beach. So we've had some great kids come through there. And Sam actually interned (laughs) for us. So I'm going to take a little bit of... (laughs) Of admiration and accolade from Sam also. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty strong right there. For an organization to last already this many years as the first he has, there's got to be a lot of people behind the scenes. Who are some of those? Uh, We have an incredible board. Uh, Jim and Christy Everest have been on the board as charter members. They are still active participants on that board. 
Uh, Lee Allen Smith is still around. Uh, Gene Roanbelt decided to resign last year, and James Dixon is now his uh, replacement. Um, I'm try Ed Martin, who has a lot to do with golf. But we have a lot of just caring, wonderful people. We just saw one of them, Aaron Owen with Owen Construction. He's one of our board members. I said, Owen, I need some help this morning putting up banners because there's so many banners. So he had a crew of eight men out here helping me. So I would just tell you that, first of all, and most importantly, I need to say this, our coaches are primarily volunteers. They are just people like you, Jim Woodward, that care enough about children and want to make a difference that they will go through the training and they commit to a class or multiple classes. Because we want positive, caring adults from every field that you can possibly imagine. Because that's when the children have the greatest opportunity to be impacted by First Tee. All of us don't have the same streaks and weaknesses. So it's good that we've got a lot of caring people around these students. And that was my next question is how do – well, no, it's okay. It's how do people get involved if they want to get their child involved with the first tee? And I think a lot of people are confused that the first tee is not just one place. Like you said, there's coaches around the state of Oklahoma uh, that help these kids out, right? Sure. Well, we actually have programming, and we'll resume that at Kicking Bird as soon as they open. Uh, probably in the fall, we will get to be there. But we also teach at Lake Hefner and Early Wine. We have our first tea facility at 600 North Martin Luther King. We have Westwood in Norman, and we have Conrad in Midwest City. So we tried to give a, a full geographic area for our students to be able to come to a first tee class so it was not a burden on the parent to drive so far. Um, We've also had a program in El Reno at Crimson Creek. That one is kind of suspended for a little bit, but we will resume that as well. Now, now Debbie, we've talked a lot about the the past of the first tee and currently the present of the first tee. Where do you see the first tee being the next five to ten years and even beyond that? Where's the growth going to go? I'm excited about this. Because we are partnering with Oklahoma City Public Schools. Our goal is to have national school program first tee in every elementary in Oklahoma City Public Schools in three years. What my goal and the board's goal is to see those programs grow and the children be touched by first tee and identify those students who really have an interest in golf if they do not have a middle school in that particular school district then we want to actually help them start some middle school programs and then have really strong competitive teams by the time they get to high school they will have the golf rules they'll have the golf etiquette they understand how to be a really good player with good conduct out on the course so that's that's really our ultimate goal and i want first tee in every elementary in metro okc that's unbelievable pretty bold pretty bold i like (laughs) it though uh put you on the spot just a hair who in the world are you grooming to do <laughs> what you've been doing. You can't do it forever, I know, but I no. God love you for you're still looking great and going hard, but who who we got in the you got to keep them coming. I will tell you that is um there's a young woman that I've met very recently that I think could be 
that replacement. I will tell you that this is my baby. Oh, I know. Willa Johnson came to me one day and said, Debbie, I've heard about First Tee, and it's not about creating great golfers. It's creating great young people. And her cliche was, just get it done. I mean, it was never about what was gonna, what work would be required to be able to accomplish that. So she really is the founder behind our local chapter. She wanted children who could not necessarily play football and basketball that were from her community to have the exposure to the values of this particular program. So um, I will tell you that's going to be difficult. I have great passion, and each time that I've had people involved in the program, I wanted them to feel the same passion I have. But that's hard to transfer that kind of passion unless you've begun the program. And when Debbie says she has passion Mm. for it, she's not lying. I've seen it firsthand. Uh, Debbie, my last question here is if people do want to contribute to the first tee, how are they able to do that? Uh, They can simply mail a check to Box 2381, Oklahoma City, 73101. I would tell you and I ask the audience that's listening, we want kids. That's the first thing. We need coaches. And I need coaches from various diversity cultural backgrounds and then thirdly I just and I need the dollars because we actually cost our program about $460 a year per child and I collect $25 for the spring summer and fall with a maximum of $75 in a year and I also pay coaches the PGA professionals at each one of our courses and so you can tell the budget's lopsided already if i if the cost is that much and then i'm only accruing that 75 dollars well awesome stuff debbie thank you for joining us today and great weather by the way thank you for bringing the good weather (laughs) and thank you sam and and jim and taylor i appreciate doing this thank you so much thank you for coming on we greatly appreciate it Debbie. keep up all your great work awesome thank you and we are back here on the 73rd hole the official podcast of golf oklahoma definitely go get all of your local golf news from golf oklahoma kim mcleod and chris swafford doing an awesome job covering big 12 golf in the state of oklahoma as well as you know the surrounding areas doing all the local high school golf that's about to come up a bunch of great coverage coming up guys we got to talk about the mexico open and t-dub before the week started last week on the podcast i asked you will the winner come out of tony finau and john rom because that was the only those were the only two big names in this golf tournament and it turns out that it was a two-horse race but really just a one-horse race for my guy, Tony Finau. I took the risk in the one-and-done T-dub, and Tony Finau did not let me down picking Tony Finau. So that means the last three professional golf tournaments, individual golf tournaments, I picked the winner for. Which is uh, pretty damn hard to do, right, Woody? So, I mean, I think we're going to go to Vegas with you, Sam. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we'll see how much the luck runs out today in the old uh, first tee scramble. We'll see, see if you can still bring it, maybe roll in a, a few long putts on the few times that we have. Did you notice I didn't pick us to win today? <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good choice, yeah. yeah. I mean, Sam, you just called it perfectly. I mean, Tony Fina, just so rock solid. And we had talked before the tournament about how he, this guy either puts really good or he puts pretty lackluster. It's like yeah. he, he never is just right around middle stroke. 
strokes game putting. In his always, career, though, this year he's putting great. Absolutely, yeah. And it's just it's over the last couple of tournaments, he either gains a lot or, or he, he doesn't. And this week he gained over a full shot on the field putting, gained a, half a, sh- or a shot and a half approach, gained more than a full shot off the tee. But yesterday, guys, he actually lost strokes gained approach and barely gained shots off the tee but gain over a full shot around the greens and then gain almost two shots putting. So a bogey-free 65 to, or a bogey-free 66, I mean five under, just to pretty much coast in. John Rahm really didn't do much. He birdied six and seven on the front nine, but uh, wasn't able to birdie any of the first five holes and then parred both the par fives on the back before he got to 18. So, I mean, Woody, it seemed like Rahm may have had a chance to put a little bit of pressure on him if he could have got some of his Augusta form back. But it just seemed like he didn't have it. I mean, yesterday, too, Rom lost almost three shots approach, which is something that you never see for him. Did have his putter going a little bit in his round the green. I mean, really, his iron game was the only bad thing yesterday. But uh, just wasn't able to put the pressure that I thought he was going to, at least before the round started. I would have to tell you that Rom, I don't think he wanted to win. Because huh. then he's got to come back again next year. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, 10 years in a row is enough for me. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I did my duty. I think that's what he was thinking. But now, here's a question for you guys. I'm watching that, okay? And... Did you guys see the, the arrow that Finau has put on his putter? He puts with like an answer. It's a Nike putter, I think. I don't know what kind of putter it is. But down there where the hosel comes to the bottom, he's got a little arrow. Mm-hmm. And what he says is he uses that arrow to tell him if he's in the right position, whether the ball's too far forward or too far back. Interesting. Really? Well, would you call that an aid? I'm trying to look it up right now to see the the arrow on it. So I'm looking at it. He drew it. He drew it. It's sort of like. What's the difference between that and drawing a line on your golf ball? Yeah, I don't know. And, and, and that's that's probably not like so a are you talking, yeah. yeah, that's what I was about to ask. Yeah, the Seymour it's, it's thing. It's back over here on the very yeah, back so, of that so it's, it's like for anyone who knows the Zach Johnson putter, the Seymour, it has the red yeah. dot there, and yeah. so you line it up to know where you're right. Um, well, I, I this is actually an arrow he's drawn in there. It's not a dot. It, I mean, he drew an arrow in there. You, you won't be able to see it because it's on the back side of that view you're looking at. And uh, it sits on top of the putter. I'm going to try to pull it up and see if I can find well, it Well, and, and the thing that – the part of the reason I didn't notice that, Woody, was I can't get over how low he has his hands when he putts. I mean, oh, is, is that yeah. not crazy? Well, and, that's why he hits up on his putts. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's and the thing about it, too, Woody, is that you would you expect that you would just flatten the putter, right, if it goes that low, but the, the, well, the toe shoots straight up in the air. You, you would think that in a funny kind of way – you guys, do you ever remember oh, okay. Asao Aoki? I've now, heard that's it. going way that's back. Okay. <laughs> is, is, isn't he the guy that double hit at the U.S.? No, no. That's T.C. Chin. T.C. Chin. Yeah, double chin. Uh, this, was, <laughs> this was the guy that was from Japan uh, and, and contended. And I, he won on the PGA Tour. I don't I remember where. I think he won at Hawaii is where he won, uh, and then the next year, he hold a wedge in Hawaii to beat Jack Renner, and then the next year, Jack Renner ends up winning. Remind me to tell you a story about Jack Renner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's a good one. Uh, but anyway, we'll go that another day. Ioki would hold his hands so low that the toe, he had a putter that he would hit right in the hosel. Literally. What? And it was just a jab. If Google that. See if you can pull it up for me. If you see this stroke and you watch this guy the way he hit it, you would think he never made anything. This guy could flat. So, pop. Woody, I mean, Tony Finau's hands are low. Really? And they still are, but he's putting way better this year. Are, are you yeah. seeing any differences? Well, and, and, and again, putting 
would you guys, wouldn't you agree with me to say putting is the most individualistic way of any part you can of do golf? It any oh, way there's feels no doubt about it. Way and what I think guys figure out is where is their tendencies. You know, do they hit it in the toe? Do they hit it in the heel? Uh, do they hit up too much on the putt? Do they hit too much down on the putt? Now, the technology's gotten a lot better so they can figure those things out. But I used to know a guy that would play it out on the toe because he knew as he'd loop the putter, he'd come in and, and he'd come closer <laughs> right. to the center of the putter. And and what you're really looking for, isn't it right, guys? There you go. Taylor found it. It's I We found him. We just yep. need to see if we can find his putting stroke. Hopefully uh, our listeners are yeah, Googling yeah, along yeah, with and, us. And, yeah. and, and to enlighten Woody and everyone else, it is first name I-S-A-O and then last name A-O-K-I. Well, okay. You want me to remember that. I do, 100%. Yeah. It's only eight letters, Woody. Can't remember eight letters? Kidding me? I, I, I remember you hold a wedge on a, in Hawaii. That's pretty damn good. And this was the this year was actually the 40th anniversary of that, Woody. Oh, there, see, I told you there I you knew go. it happened 40 years ago. Well, the prob- can you believe I can remember 40 years ago, dude? The problem is we're trying to watch uh, him putt, and we're watching the holy hold out on. So, I mean, this isn't really doing us much good here. Well, if you, you keep practicing, you'll get oh, there. Go. You'll learn how to do it. Or maybe but, these but, are his now, when, when you see it, it's what we go back to. Is any putting stroke? Remember Billy Me first putting stroke? Yeah. How about he looped that putter? Right. Made a lot of money. So, um, is there a perfect stroke? Is there a perfect strength swing? No, there's really it's not. It's about confidence, you know, right? That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's about ninety nine percent of it is confidence and just being able to hit a solid putt. Though. Is that it, Woody? That's it. Yeah, he doesn't even have a backstroke. He just like uh, no, no, and and you you can look how far the toe is in the air. That was the one that just came to mind. You, you know, another guy with the toe in the air that putted Seve Ballesteros, very low hands. If you look at Seve, his answer putter, the toe was actually. A little I feel bit like a there. lot of the older guys had low hands because they had to hit up on the ball a little well, bit because the greens, the greens were. Yeah, yeah, a lot slower, but yeah. guys, I mean, Tony Finau playing great golf right now. Like I said, 24 under for the golf tournament at the Mexico Open. John Rahm, we hold him to a high standard. We're like, man, he didn't play that great this week. 21 under par, yeah. solo second place. Unbelievable uh, golf that John Rahm continues to play. Now, he didn't hit the irons very well on Sunday, lost 2.90 shots, strokes gained approach with the irons. Not good iron play on Sunday for John Rahm. That didn't really allow him many birdie looks to try to give Finau a run on Sunday. But Rahm obviously continuing to play great golf. And Finau, T-Dub, you said he's ranked third in the data golf analytical rankings. When is Tony Finau going to win a major? Maybe in a couple weeks if he keeps this form up. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just it's. I mean, he he's kind of gotten in that group, right? We always talk about Cantlay and Shoffley as the best that win a major. Well, well, currently analytically, Tony Finau is the best who hadn't. And I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Maybe that's. I don't know. I just. I don't look at Finau and I just think that he's the third best player in the world. But you look at the analytics, and I mean. I mean, just look at this, Woody. You can see it right here. The strokes gain approach. Look at that. It's green every single time, and it's dark green, which means yeah. that he's he's one of the best iron players out there. We always look at Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm, these other guys, but, but Fino's exceptional with, with the irons, and I think that just gives him so many opportunities. And if he can just make some putts over over Fino's last five events, this is where he's ranked strokes game putting. This event gained 1.06. RBC Heritage lost .67. Masters lost .34. Uh, WGC match play, where he actually didn't make it through the group stage, but still gained 2.28 on the green. And then Players Championship gained .72. So none of those are really around neutral. Right? No, it's and, just, and if you look at that, I wish you the list 
listeners could see this because now I know why I don't do this. Because <laughs> let me tell you something, guys. I'm looking at this deal and how how T Dub can find all those numbers. Hell, if I know, but, but seen, I'll make when's it last time you saw that many numbers? Woody College. Uh, I mean, <laughs> so T Dub, what you're but what you're trying to explain to the listener is that he's very streaky. He gets yes. really hot or really cold. Really hot, really but cold. But he yeah. hasn't had as many really cold weeks so far in 2023. He's gaining on the year in 2023, the season of 2023. He's gaining over half a shot per round on the greens. His best year before that on the greens was 2018, where he only gained .22. Well, so here's my, sir, here's my prediction. I'm going to be a Jim Traber again twice in the same show. <laughs> He will never win a major. Wow. Why is That's that? That's a bold statement. I just don't think he's got the game to win a major. You only get four tries, and with the competitions that's out there, don't get me wrong, I don't dislike Tony. I, mean, I think he's a I don't think anybody does. Player, yeah. Yeah, he's, but he doesn't – maybe he's not enough of a killer. Maybe I, – I don't know what it is, but he's not – he will never I'll win a major. I'll tell you this. I completely disagree with Woody. I think it's yep. coming sooner rather yep. than later. I, I would probably agree more with Sam. I mean, and, and he's been out there for a decent while. He's still only 33 years old, so yeah. he's not in the, the 27, 28 range. But uh, he's also not 40 as well. But but here's an encouraging sign. So, uh, of the five tournaments this year that he has lost strokes game putting now, he's finished 31st, 26th, 24th, uh, 14th, and 9th. So, it's like even when he doesn't have he's his best He's still hitting the ball great. He hits the oh, ball yeah. too good, Woody, to, to really ever put himself out completely out of the mix. I I'm just, I'm just telling you. What he has not, a gut feeling. He's not going to win a major in his career. And, and it doesn't make him a bad player. I mean, it does not. Guys, four. Four a year. Now, see, I, I would bet four Woody a, a pizza, but then we might get in a situation where it's 2060 and and Fino's out on the Champions Tour or something. Yeah, then, well, we can't have an asterisk. Okay, let's call it the PGA Tour. He'll never win one of the four majors on that. He might win a Champions deal. But and the thing then, that Woody matter. does have – going for him in that prediction is the fact that he's never really contended in a major. Now, he's finished solo third at the Open Championship in 2019. Didn't really contend to win, right? right. I mean, he finished fifth at the uh, 2018 U.S. Open. Tied for fifth at the 2019 Masters. Obviously, took his chances out when he hit it in the water on 12, just like everybody else yeah. ahead of Tiger Woods, right? Yeah. But my point is... If he does put himself in that position, which I think he will, it'll yeah. be the first time he's ever done that. Well, and, and, and again, we're, we're talking about ifs and buts, and we know what if the Pilgrims had seen what we'd be doing. So, <laughs> I, I mean, guys, there, there's a lot of ifs and buts. I will say this. He only has three missed cuts in major championships since 2019. So he's very consistent, but he's just not playing that elite golf that you got to win, that you got to – you know, play to win nowadays with the competition that it is. Yeah, I mean, j just even looking at this, the last time that he was inside top ten of a major was when Phil won in 2021, which feels like millennia ago at this point. And, and over even when he, he missed the cut 2022 U.S. Open, as you said, but 26, 28, 30th, 35th, 15th, 8th, 10th in there, uh, 38th, and another 8th. So it's like he's just floated around. But I, I haven't looked back on any major, Woody, and I think, oh, Tony Finau really should have won that one. I mean, yeah, he was in the final group with Tiger, but, but even reason, then it was Molinari. The reason is because of the putter. And now the putter analytically is hot for yeah. Tony Finau, gaining and, over half a shot per I round. I watching yesterday. It was hot yesterday, too. It was, it, it's, it's there. But, again, I'm going to bring up four. 
You only, you get, only, four. only get four. Yeah. You get four. And, well, and wait, you wait. have a bunch of good players. More well, and, and sure fields than there's ever been. <laughs> and we always get I caught I mean, we up got in... guys like Taylor Gooch not even playing. No. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hello. We get stuck in the conversation. You look down in, in 10 years like, oh, well, this guy will have a green jacket. Oh, he's going to have a green jacket. This yeah. guy's going to have a trophy. And it's like, by the time you add it up, we've given out 80 majors and they play 30 of them. So my yeah. question, who's the best player without a major? That's a good question. Um, I would, I'd probably go Cantley. I think it's Shoffley. I think it's Shoffley. And yeah. Cantley, I would say analytically that's the answer. Yeah. But, but he sucks Shoffley. in major championships. Yeah. He, 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 I mean, he, I don't have Cantley's numbers right in front of me. Maybe T-Dub can pull him up. But he hasn't – I mean, Tony Finau at least has, you know, what, four or five top fives in major championships? Yeah. Cantley doesn't have any, well, does he? Well, Cantley has his highest finish in a major. He finished third in the 2019 PGA. That's right, okay. But, but then other than that, his next highest finish is an eighth place finish. Yeah. Last year at the Open, and then his only other top ten Masters. was uh, the Masters when he had yeah. the lead very briefly yeah. when um, when Tiger won. But uh, And to yeah. make your point about Shoffley, I mean, Shoffley's finished top seven at the U.S. Open every time he's played there. So yeah, it's, it, 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 he's – Overall game, just He's the, the way, most consistent. way he plays and how he how he gets under the heat. He he doesn't, especially now that he started winning more than he was before. He, he won the gold medal and and I don't know. I just he seems like he's the guy. And I think to win a lot of people get too hyper focused on Finau, Shoffley, Cantlay. Max Homa's coming. Taylor yeah. Gooch is coming. There we're, there's a bunch of guys in yeah. that group of guys that I feel like do have that dog in him a little bit, right? That maybe Tony Fino, like you said, hasn't had in the past, or Cantlay obviously hasn't had in the past. I do think Shoffley does have that kind of killer instinct coming down the stretch. We saw it at the Olympics. He just hasn't really done it in major championships yet. I would yeah. say... Yeah, it's the big word. I, he I, I just think. is the best player without a major, and he will also, to me, be the next one to win his first major. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think those are all pretty. I, I do think that Shoffley would win one before Cantley would because I really like Shoffley at L.A. Country Club. For sure, someone who's making their way in the category is Cam Young. I think, and, and I think That's he's – good point. You, you might be able to test this differently, yeah. Woody. I think he has a really great game for Oak Hill. Uh, uh, he does. He up does. from around that area as well. Uh, yeah, and he's up around that area. I think that when I look at this and I think about the one-and-dones and everything else that I'm so bad at it, you guys ought to let me pick a guy more than once. You, you, should, you should get a three-and-done, Woody. Uh, I should get a three-and-done or something like that. Uh, the more I thought about it, because of um, I'm, where I'm going to tee off from today, if they Woody's try to – Woody's just pissed off at Matt Wallace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 77. Hey, I thought Red you were Nostradamus, range. but I, – Well, I I do like to go out on a limb, don't I? I go I go out there pretty far, and it, usually what well, happens when I get out on the limb, it breaks. It breaks. And Woody, I fall miles. There's going to be one day where you go out on the biggest limb ever, and it just hits, baby. It's, oh, it's going to be a glorious See, day, too. I think if you throw enough darts, you do hit the middle. Yeah, so yeah. that's what's happening. Yeah. Just right now, yeah. you haven't haven't gotten really close. And let me tell you something: I'll milk it <laughs> when, I, when I do finally pick one that nobody thinks of. I'll milk it. Victory cigar coming Sam. up. Yeah, victory cigar. A lot more. You need to get a reason Sam. to smoke a cigar, Woody. Uh, yeah, well, I'm ready. When well, do we when get you to do go it play? this often, Woody, you get <laughs> yeah. used to it. Yeah. yeah, I'm ready to go play. <laughs> <laughs> What is this Mexico stuff? I'm at Lincoln Park. I'm yeah. ready to First get it. scramble, baby. Let's go. Yeah, you guys, I'm like a thoroughbred. You've got me pinned up. <laughs> well, so. let's go ahead and hit the course, guys. We're going to get some lunch. Go out there. Hit the course. This has been a great show. Thank you, T-Dub. Thank you, Woody. 
This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. If you aren't following us on social media, at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole on Instagram, and definitely hit that subscribe button. On Apple Podcasts, it's called the follow button now, but on Spotify, subscribe. It will just give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode. We're back on Wednesday to preview Quail Hollow, right? Is Quail that Hollow, yeah. Quail Hollow. And, and right. Rory, elevated event without Rory, Scotty Scheffler or John Rump. Rory is supposedly there, though. That's good. Well, I think, <laughs> we haven't I think seen he, him in a while. He already lost $3 million from the pip. I don't think he'll lose any more. How much can he lose if he doesn't show on another one? Can he lose some more? TGL will make up for it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, we'll be back on Wednesday to do all of our preview stuff. Everybody have a great uh, Monday. 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 Mondays. Mondays. But it doesn't feel like it out here at Lincoln. Monday, Monday. <laughs>